And if you brought your Bible, go to the book of Micah, Micah chapter 6, in the Word of God tonight. Si trajo su Biblia, vaya conmigo por favor al libro del profeta Miqueas, el capítulo 6. Vamos a ir esta tarde al verso 8. Micah chapter 6, verse 8 tonight for our starting point as we come to the study of the Word of God. Vamos a comenzar allí y luego vamos a ir a otras porciones de la Escritura. I want to speak tonight about just scales. Quiero hablar esta noche sobre el balance justo. Y vamos a comenzar aquí y luego ir a otras partes de la Escritura. And I want to address some things tonight from the Word of the Lord to each one of our hearts in the practical sense. And then we're going to go into God's scales uh, toward the end of the message. So, Micah chapter 6, verse 8, and the scripture says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. Can you say amen to that? And then Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 1, Proverbs 11, 1, the scripture reads, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Father, we come before you tonight with a desire to learn from the word of God, and I ask that you would anoint my lips of clay to teach the word of the living God, and that you would anoint the hearing of this congregation. We want to be pleasing unto you, O God. This is the desire of our hearts, and I pray as well that this word would be encouraging and uplifting to each one here tonight and those who have gathered online to study the word together. In Jesus' name we pray. Let the church say amen. 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 We always uh, hear among our uh, younger children, I guess, the word fair. It's not fair. How many of you ever heard that? How many of you have ever used that? Uh, well, tonight I want to speak about the just scale, and not necessarily fairness, because fairness and justice are not always the same thing. And so tonight I want to begin with just the practical, uh, in practical terms, what it means to have a just scale. And then I want to take you to the place I think the Lord wants us to end tonight uh, out of his words. So I want you to keep your Bible open. All right, because we're going to go to various parts of Scripture tonight, and I believe that J.D. will help us back there. We'll have it up on the screen for those of you who don't have your Bible with you. You can also look it up on your digital device. So let's just begin right there where we read in the book of Micah. The prophet Micah uh, speaks to us, and uh, he's quoting the Lord. He's quoting God's demand upon the nation of Israel El profeta aquí lo vemos que él está declarando las palabras de Dios hacia Israel y él le pregunta a Israel una sencilla pregunta. He asks a simple question to Israel. What is God required of you? ¿Qué es lo que Dios ha requerido de ti? What does God require of men and women uh, who are part of his family, part of his flock, and what is the lifestyle that he chooses or de desires from us? ¿Cuál es lo que Dios requiere de nosotros? And I want to just ask you a simple question tonight. Does God have the right to require anything from us? Yeah, that's the right answer. Good church, okay? Uh, Dios tendrá o no tendrá el derecho de, de, de pedir o de requerir algo de nosotros. Diga amén, el pueblo del Señor. Uh, that is a requirement. What does God require from us? And the prophet lays out before the nation of Israel, and this really is an indictment that, uh, the, that Micah is preaching, an indictment against the nation of Israel. He's laying the charges of God against them. Aquí el profeta Mequías está poniendo los cargos sobre cargos legales sobre la nación de Israel. Y les dice, no han hecho lo que Dios requiere. He says, you have not done what God requires. And, and he boils down the commandments of God to a simple formula. Él uh, nos da una fórmula simple de, de todos los mandamientos de Dios. He says, what is God required of you 
What is uh, good, O oh man, and what is God required of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God? Let's say those three, three things together. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. Tres cosas aquí vemos que Dios requiere de nosotros. Número uno, hacer justicia. Número dos, tener misericordia. Y número tres, caminar humildemente delante de Dios. Does that sound too hard? Será eso muy difícil. To do justice, to love mercy, or to do kindness, and to walk humbly with God. If you do, if you do those three things, you will basically fulfill all of the law of God. Now, Jesus boiled it down uh, as well. He said, to love your neighbor as yourself. And those are the simple requirements of the law of God. Estos son los simples requerimientos de la ley de Dios. Jesús lo puso en términos aún más simples. Dijo, ama a tu prójimo como a ti mismo. And so tonight I want to deal with primarily with the term justice. Because when we think of justice, we always think of scales. Right? Usually when you see a, a, a depiction of justice, uh, there are scales in her hands and her eyes are blindfolded. Normalmente cuando hablamos de la justicia, vemos la justicia vestida como una mujer de, que tiene unas, uh, un balance en sus manos y que tiene los ojos cubiertos. And also, so as we discuss justice, I want you to know that justice must never be far from mercy. La justicia nunca debe estar lejos de la misericordia. Say amen, somebody. Because God's justice toward us was not far from his mercy. La, la justicia de Dios hacia nosotros no está lejos de su misericordia. You and I have, we serve a just God. Usted y yo servimos un Dios justo. He's just because he's holy. Dios es justo porque él es santo. And the way I like to say it is that God's justice is his holiness in action. La santidad de Dios o la justicia de Dios es la santidad de Dios actuando. So when God speaks, he speaks justly. When God makes a decision, it's always a just decision. Cuando Dios habla, Él siempre habla con justicia y siempre cuando hace algo, una decisión, la hace con justicia. Every decision God ever made was a good and right Decision because God is just. Todas las decisiones que Dios ha hecho, Dios las hizo y fue justo y fue bueno en hacerlo porque Él es justo. Okay, so that is the foundation upon which we're going to talk tonight. Este es el fundamento sobre el cual vamos a hablar. But the justice of God is never far from His mercy. La justicia de Dios nunca está lejos de su misericordia. Because we deserved wrath, but we received mercy. Merecíamos la, la ira, pero hemos recibido la misericordia. Why? Because on the cross, Jesus got God's wrath. We received God's mercy. Somebody say amen. En la cruz, Dios le dio su ira a Jesús y nos dio su misericordia a nosotros. And so when we read these three requirements, we're reading what God has done toward us. God has been just. God has been kind. Hasn't he? Has God been kind? And God has walked with us. Think about the fact that God walks with us. He condescends. He humbled himself. And he took upon himself the form of a man, even a servant, and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. So these three things God demands of us. Let's say them again together. Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. All right. Now the Bible says, Romans, pardon me, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1, that an unjust scale is an abomination to the Lord. Dice Proverbios capítulo 1, capítulo 11, verso 1, que un balance... Uh, injusto es una abominación hacia Dios. What is an abomination? Let me just say simply that an abomination is the worst kind of sin to God. It is what most causes him to gag. 
Okay? And God says there are several things that, that are an abomination to him, and one of them is unjust scales. Uh, una de las cosas que es una abominación hacia Dios, algo que causa a Dios que vomite de su boca, es una escala o uh, un balance afuera de justicia. Now, you and I don't use scales, at least I don't. When I go to the grocery store, I don't put my gold on one scale and when I'm going to buy on another and then weigh out as much gold as I need to buy that. I don't know if any of you have ever had to do that before, but aren't you glad we have money and currency that takes away all of that business? But in the ancient world, when you, when you wanted to buy an ounce worth of gold in uh, any kind of product, it had to be put on a scale. En el mundo antiguo, cuando uno quería comprar algo, él iba y ponía su oro en, la, en, la, en el balance y el producto en el otro y tenía que salir igual la medida. It had to come to the same weight, to the same, uh, it had to justify. And so that's what the scripture tells us, that uh, God uses a just scale. Dice la escritura que Dios usa un balance eh, eh, que está que es justo. And he demands of us that we also use a just scale. Now the first way that we use a scale or would have used a scale in the ancient world was for business, which I've just referenced. El, el, el balance era usado para el negocio. And so the first thing I want to address tonight is uh, how we use our, whether or not we are just in our business transactions. Quiero hablar primero si somos justos en nuestro negocio. All right, so I'm going to get a little bit into the nitty-gritty tonight, and then uh, it's going to get worse before it gets better, okay? So you're just going to be uncomfortable for a little bit, but it's going to end all right, okay? You're going to make it through this. Vamos a, vamos a pasar por algunos detalles aquí que a lo mejor lo van a hacer sentirse un poco incómodo, pero vamos a terminar bien, así que uh, no, no se preocupe. Uh, pero el primer, la pregu primer pregunta es que somos justos en nuestro negocio. Are we just in our business? Does God care how you handle your business? Say amen. ¿Será que Dios se preocupa de cómo usted y yo hacemos el negocio? What God's word tells us is that an unjust scale is an abomination to the Lord. It literally means that when God's people enter into a business transaction with the intent, or sometimes not the intent, but the outcome of being unjust in that, that transaction, that God considers it, an abomination to him. Cuando uno de los hijos de Dios entra a un trato con la intención, o quizás sin la intención, pero es el, el resultado de que ha tomado ventaja de otra persona en, esa, en ese intercambio, Dios dice, eso es una abominación hacia mí. So the word cheater and the word Christian should not ever be in the same Sentence. Say amen, somebody. La palabra, un justo, una persona injusta en negocio y un cristiano nunca deben estar en la misma, el mismo dicho, porque el pueblo de Dios debe obrar justicia. God's people should always do justice. Say justice. God's people should always do Justice. You know, the Bible actually says that a good man swears by his own hurt. Dice la escritura que un hombre bueno, aunque le cueste, aunque le duela, él siempre hará lo debido, hará lo bueno. When a good man does what's right, even when it costs him, God considers that a sweet-smelling offering. Cuando el justo hace lo bien, aunque pudiera haber tomado ventaja de alguien, pero no lo hace, Dios lo recibe como una ofrenda fragante. So if, if you and I, and I'm not calling anybody here a cheater, okay? I'm just, I'm just, I have to cross this bridge so we can get to the one that we're really going to get to. All right? Um, if you and I cheat somebody on Monday and then come and give God a big special offering on Sunday, God says, ugh. 
Cuando alguien toma ventaja de alguien más en el negocio Y luego viene y le da a Dios una gran ofrenda Dios, Dios vomita de su boca He said, but pastor, I'm bringing God a very big offering Shouldn't he be happy about it? But God says, look, I don't like the way that you were unjust on Monday Because I'm a just God And you're my child Therefore, I want you to represent me to the world, and I want you to represent me as being just. Say amen, somebody. Amen. So if you read Micah, Micah, the Lord tells the people of Israel in Micah 6, he says, I cannot justify your uh, unjust scales even because you bring me a great offering. A great sacrifice will not balance the scales with God. Una gran ofrenda no va a traer balance con Dios. Now, Jesus gives us an example in Matthew 18. Jesús nos da un ejemplo en Mateo capítulo 18. He said that there was a man who had borrowed some money, and he had borrowed a whole lot of money. Había un hombre que había pedido prestado en el libro de Mateo capítulo 18, mucho dinero, he had borrowed, uh, well this would be a lot of money for us, at least for me, maybe not for President Trump, but it would be a lot of money for me. He borrowed 15 million dollars. Había pedido prestado 15 mil o 15 millones de dólares. Is that a lot of money for you guys? Yeah. And he couldn't pay it back. No lo pudo pagar para atrás. So he went to his Uh, his uh, lender, and the lender told him, look, you owe me this money. What's the deal? You haven't been paying me. He said, I, I, I can't pay you. And he fell on his knees, and he started to beg, please forgive me. Uh, give me more time. Let me, let me uh, figure out a way to do this. And the, the man, the Bible said, Jesus told the man, you will, uh, I'm going to forgive you this debt. How much did he forgive him? How much? You forgot already. $15 million. Jesús dice que este hombre fue y imploró con el que le había dado el, el préstamo y se le perdonaron 15 millones de dólares. He went outside, salió hacia afuera y se encontró con un hombre que le debía 10 mil dólares. He walked out and he saw a man who owed him $10,000. Is there a big difference between $15 million and $10,000? Yes. The Bible said he saw the man owed him $10,000. Salió afuera. Se encontró con un hombre que le debía $10,000. Y lo agarró del pescuezo. He grabbed him by the neck. And he started shaking him saying... You owe me $10,000 and you better pay up or else. Dijo, tú me debes 10 mil dólares y vale más que me los pagues o vas a ver. And the Bible said that the judge, the, the man who had lent him the $15,000, saw this. El hombre que le había prestado los 15 millones vio esto. Dijo, ven para acá. He said, come over here, buddy. He said, take this man and throw him into the outer darkness. Who was that who had given him forgiveness? It was God. And yet, he was unwilling to turn around and forgive somebody else. 15 million, 10,000. He had an unjust scale. Este hombre tenía una, un balance injusto. Quería que le pagaran los 10 mil, pero a él se le habían perdonado 15, mil, 15 millones de dólares y ahora lo echaron a la cárcel perpetuamente porque había sido injusto. Así que Dios tiene una gran, una gran, un gran problema con la injusticia. God has a great problem with injustice. And so tonight, you and I just have to rem remember that. When we go into a, a business dealing of any kind, to remember that God is just and he expects us to be just too. 
Sometimes we're unjust in our business. And I'll tell you this, what's at the root of a Christian being unjust in business is a lack of faith. You say, Pastor, you always take everything back to a lack of faith, don't you? Well, yes, because that's what it's about. Cuando un cristiano es injusto, es falta de fe. Why? Because that Christian is thinking, if I don't get a little extra out of this deal, I won't be able to make it. I won't be able to get where I need to go. And that is a lack of faith. They're saying, I have to cheat my way to the top. Instead, God says, you're not going to get to the top that way. If you want me to honor you, you need to do justice and watch me take you to the top. I'll be the one to elevate you if you will do justice and honor me in the way that you work and deal. So there's one way which, in which sometimes we can be unjust is in business. Another way we can be unjust at times is in our evaluation of other people. A veces también somos injustos en nuestra evaluación de otras personas. Say amen, somebody. Sometimes we let ourselves get away with murder. Nobody said amen, just one amen back there. We, 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 give our, we let ourselves off the hook for murder, and then we hold somebody else accountable for, leaving, for, uh, for stealing a paper clip. And we have an unjust scale in the way that we evaluate other people. A veces dejamos que si yo hice un error, me dejo, me dejo pasar, pero si alguien más hizo un error, no lo dejo pasar nada. Y ahí está en, es, en esa injusticia una abominación delante de Dios. Now, if you have your Bible open to Micah, I want you to go to one book over uh, to the... Uh, left, and you're going to find the book of Jonah. Si usted va de, de el libro de Miqueas hacia la izquierda, va a encontrar el libro anterior, que es el libro de Jonás. How many of you have heard the story of Jonah? ¿Cuántos recuerdan la historia de Jonás? Well, you all have heard that Jonah was supposed to go preach in Nineveh, and he didn't go, so what happened to him? He was swallowed by a big fish. I heard that part. And then he got out of the big fish because of the mercy of God, and he went to preach in Nineveh. That's the, that's the part most people are familiar with. But chapter 4 tells us the rest of the story. Jonás capítulo 4 nos da el resto de la historia. Nos dice la escritura que Jonás que debía ir a predicar en, en uh, Nínive, no fue. Entonces Dios uh, se encargó de que Jonás llegara a su destino y uh, un pez lo, se lo tragó. Tres días estuvo en, el, en, el, en ese pez hasta que el pez lo vomitó y Jonás dijo, ahora voy a ir a, a hacer la voluntad de Dios y fue a predicar a Nínive. He started preaching in Nineveh. I'm going to test your Sunday school skills here real quick. What happened when he started preaching in Nineveh. What did the people do? The people repented. Él comenzó a predicar en Nineveh y el pueblo se arrepintió. There was a repentance among the people. And Jonah was unhappy about this. The whole, the whole city of Nineveh became, uh, came under conviction by the power of the preaching of Jonah. Toda la ciudad de Nineveh uh, cayó bajo convicción por la predicación de Jonás. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was preaching to a city and the whole city came under conviction and started renting their, their clothes and started repenting and started turning to God, I would consider that a success. But Jonah was not happy about this. Jonás no estaba contento con esto que el pueblo se había comenzado a arrepentir. So he went up to a high place, subió a un lugar alto, and look at what chapter 4 tells us. Chapter 3, verse 10 tells us that the, the people of Nineveh repented and that God changed his mind about destroying them. But chapter 4, verse 1 says, But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became very angry. Dice la escritura que esto no le plació a Jonás y que él se, hizo, se enojó grandemente. Look at Jonah. Where was he 40 days ago? In the belly of a fish. 
That could have been all she wrote, right? That could have been it for Jonah. He could have been digested by a big fish. But God, while Jonah was in that, in the belly of that well or that big fish, God heard Jonah's prayer for mercy. Estando en, en, ese, en ese pez, Dios escuchó la oración de Jonás y le dio misericordia. Have you, ever, have you ever been in the belly of a big fish? Have you ever been in big trouble? And started praying and said, Lord, if you get me out of this one, I'll never do that again. Lord, if you save me from this trouble, I'll serve you. There's people in the ministry today because one day they were in, the, in big trouble. And God heard their prayer. Dios escucha la oración de Jonás. Y le da misericordia. Now, all of these people in the city are doing the thing that he's, he did in the belly of that fish. And he's mad about it. Ahora, toda la ciudad está haciendo lo que él hizo en, es, en ese pez. Y cuando ellos se arrepienten y Dios les da misericordia a ellos... Él no está contento. They have received mercy and he is unhappy about it. Does Jonah have a just scale? No. And so he starts praying. You got to love the melodrama of Jonah's prayer. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was it not this, uh, was not this what I said uh, while I was still in my country Therefore, in order to foretell this, I fled to, uh, uh, forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I know that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness, and the one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. You can almost hear Jonah sucking his thumb in the background. He says, God, I would rather die than let you forgive these pagan people who have repented. Doesn't, that doesn't make any sense, does it? But you know, sometimes we are guilty of the same thing. We want God to throw the book at people who have broken the law. But we want God to be merciful to us when, he, when we have broken his law. And so God does three things here in the text. And this is where we're headed tonight. Verse, um, verse 5, now Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen to the city. So Jonah goes up to go and watch God destroy Nineveh. He is, he is uh, wanting a front row seat to the condemnation of these thousands of souls. So the Lord appointed a plant. What does it say there? The Lord did what? Appointed. Underline, underline that word Appointed. The Lord appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort, and Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. I just love this guy. He's up here waiting to watch the city burn, and the Lord says, you know, poor Jonah sitting in the sun. It's hot out there. He lets this plant grow up out of nowhere and cover Jonah. Shade tree. That's favor, isn't it? Say amen. amen. Has God ever just shaded you? Dios le da una sombra a Jonás. And now Jonah is happy because he's got a shade tree. And so uh, we read on a little more, verse 7. But God did what? What did he do? He appointed. Underline that word, appointed. God appointed a worm. When dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. 
So God appointed the shade tree, and now God appoints a worm, and the worm starts eating away at that tree, and the tree, the shade, shrivels up and dies. Dios manda un gusano, el gusano se come aquí a mata, y se muere la mata. Verse 8, the sun came up, God did what? Appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with his soul that, uh, that he might die, saying, death is better than life. And so now God sends a wind and blows away this uh, shade tree, and now Jonah is again exposed to the sun. He's not in any worse shape than he was when he started. What does he do? He starts crying. And listen to the words of God. Verse 9. Then God said to Jonah, Do you not, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? He said, I have good reason to be angry even to death. Then the Lord said, You have had compassion on the plant for which I for which you did not work, and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who did not know the difference between their right hand and their left, as well as many animals? God says, Jonah, you had compassion on a shade tree. But not on the 120 pagans who are so lost in their sin, they didn't know their right hand from their left. El Señor le dice a Jonás, Jonás, tuviste misericordia de un arbolito que te dio sombra, pero no tuviste misericordia de 120 personas, 120 mil personas que no conocen su mano derecha de su mano izquierda. Now here, here's what I want us to see tonight. That often we can be unjust in the way that we treat other people because of our prejudices, because of our biases, because of our experiences. A veces somos injustos en la manera que tratamos otra persona porque tenemos prejuicios, tenemos ideas o experiencias anteriores que nos causan tener una imagen y de tratar a alguien con con favoritismo o de tratar a alguien sin favor. We treat someone with favoritism or without favor because simply of the bias or the prejudice that we have. God says, this too is an abomination to me. God says, I loved the Gentiles as much as I love the Jews. I gave my son for all of them. Dios dice, yo di mi hijo para todo mundo, salvar a todo mundo. Entonces yo quiero que mi pueblo tenga un corazón con una disposición hacia todos. So God says, I want my people to have a disposition toward everybody. That's why you'll never find in the Bible or uh, any place that God honors where we say this is a white church or this is a black church or this is a Hispanic church because God doesn't make an exception for people. Say amen, somebody. God is a just God. Dios es un Dios justo. Lo hace excepción de persona. God can use a man. He can also use a woman. Say amen. God can use the rich. He can use the poor. Say amen. God can use the young and he can use the old. Say amen. It doesn't matter. God is God. And he'll use anyone who'll make themselves available to him. And he will save anybody that will call upon him for mercy. So I want you to have this in your mind, in your heart, okay, that God looks for us to love justice, to do justice. Why? Because he's just. Now there's a little word we underlined three times in your book of Jonah. What was the word? Appointed. Here's, here's where we're going tonight, okay. The, the worst is over, okay. Relax. Breathe a little bit. The worst is over. What did we underline three times? Appointed. What Jonah teaches us here is that the shade tree 
and the dying of the shade tree, and the east wind that blew the shade tree away, and the saving of Nineveh, and God's mercy upon Jonah, all of them were appointed by God. That's why I began by telling you that God is just in everything he does. So here's the third way that we can often be unjust. Is that often, or that sometimes we can be unjust in our evaluation of the dealings of God. A veces somos injustos en la forma que evaluamos como Dios trabaja. See, we can be unjust in business. That's one thing. We can be unjust in relationships. That's another thing. But sometimes, without even noticing it, we have an unjust, an injustice toward God. A veces sin notarlo, tenemos una injusticia hacia Dios. And we think like, well, Lord, how come you're blessing them? You're not blessing me. How come you healed their loved one and my loved one died? How come you gave them the job and I lost mine? And we, we start to let our mind prevail with an injustice toward God. But we have to stop and realize that God appointed all of those things. Say amen, somebody. And that when you and I back away and we look at the big picture, you and I will see that God is not only just, but that he is good. And so if we will, if we will just stop and, and say and have a just scale toward God, we will realize that God's scale always is not only just, but it's also good. And that it is in our best interest at the end of the day. And so I want to end by taking you to the book of Romans. Go to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We're going to see one more scale here. Vaya a Romanos capítulo 8, verso 28. Vamos a ver un balance más. So just, just kind of think in your, in your heart tonight. Have I been unjust in business? Have I been unjust in my relationships but also, have I been unjust in my evaluation of the dealings of the Lord? Sometimes we blame God for things, don't we? There's not very many amens tonight. Sometimes we blame God for things. Lord, this man I married, he's all your fault. Right? This woman I married, she's all your fault. Well, you know what the Lord will say? You picked them. Come on, somebody. You picked them. Did you pick them or not? Did they arrive in the mail unsolicited and you had to receive them in your home? No. You picked them. Ah, uh, it's getting quiet now. Pastor, you said the worst was over. <laughs> Sometimes we, we blame God for things we picked. For decisions we've made. Okay? So I want you to get that out of the way and just know that the things God appoints are just. And what we see here in Romans 8 is another scale. This is Paul's scale. Okay? It's not necessarily the Lord's scale. You're going to see why here in a second. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Sorry, verse 18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now here's Paul's uh, scale. Paul says, look, when you and I stop, we back up a little bit, and we set on the scale, and we watch God work. Dice Pablo aquí en Romanos 8, 18. Cuando usted y yo ponemos en el balance las cosas que, que son parte de nuestra vida y vamos a ver que la, el balance de Dios, siempre lo de Dios, la justicia de Dios va hacia lo bueno para mi vida. God's scale always tips in my favor. Somebody say amen. Listen now. On one side you have the present sufferings. 
Right? That's what he says. When I consider the present sufferings. How many of you have present sufferings? All right. Let's be honest. How many of you have present sufferings? Dice, cuando yo considero los sufrimientos de mi presente. ¿Cuántos tienen sufrimiento de su presente? Look, I don't care if you have an ingrown toenail or if you are fighting cancer. Suffering is suffering. Right? If it's your suffering, it's a big deal. Say amen, somebody. And here's, the, here's what I think. If you were to take your present sufferings and just start listing them, you start piling them on that scale. Here's what I want you to know, first of all. They are present sufferings. Say this with me. Present doesn't mean permanent. Say that again. Present doesn't mean permanent. All right? So if they're present sufferings, they're not permanent suffering. You should be happy about that. When I consider my present sufferings, they're not permanent. When I was in the third grade, I used to suffer every Friday with spelling tests. Did you, any of you suffer that? Well, I, I, that was a present suffering, but I don't suffer with that anymore. It's over. That's past in my life. Still can't spell all the words I need to spell, but that suffering is present. It was present for the moment, but it wasn't permanent. There are things in your life you may consider suffering today, but they are not permanent in your life. Say amen, somebody. So when you, when you go home and you look at your problems tonight, you just look at your problem, not your spouse, okay? They're, they're yours for life, okay? But you look at your problems, you look at that stack of bills on your table, you just tell them, you're not permanent in my life. When you look at your present situation, your present condition, it's not permanent in your life. It is a passing thing. There is a day in your future. You can look out there in the future and smile because that problem you have today is not going to be there tomorrow. And, and just like God said to the nation of Israel when they crossed the, the Red Sea, he said, you will never see the Egyptians again. And God says that to you, this problem you have tonight, you're not going to see it forever in your life. The day's going to come, you're going to cross over, and it's going to be a good day. That thing will be behind you. So this is a present problem, but it's not a permanent problem. So stack them all on the scale. Okay, so right now you get all your present problems on the scale, and the, the scale's tipping toward suffering. Okay, but now, Paul says, now start loading up the other side of the scale. He says, when I consider my present sufferings up against the glory that is to be revealed. So you just start stacking up your present sufferings against your future glory. And where can we begin? We can begin with the fact that I'm going to heaven when I die. I just felt the scale tip over. Come on, somebody. I said, I'm going to heaven when I die. Let's start with the fact that the sin that I uh, face, the temptation I face, does not have control over me. I don't have to be bound by it anymore. And you just start stacking those, those things on that scale when I consider the glory that is to be revealed, the fact that I am the healed of the Lord, that I am uh, to go above and not beneath, that I am the head and not the tail, that I am blessed going in and blessed going out, that I'm blessing the city and blessing the country. Come on, somebody. That scale starts tipping over in a new direction, doesn't it? And he says, in fact, the scale is so far over toward the side of the future glory. He says, it's not even worthy to be compared. My present problems are not worthy to be compared with the future glory that God has laid up for me. So I want you to do something tonight. Just smile at your future. Come on, somebody, smile at your future. This is an order from your pastor tonight. All right, just smile at your future. I dare you not to smile at me right now. 
I dare you to keep that frown. You have to smile. Come on, I dare you not to smile. This is a smile. I got you. I want to win this smiling contest tonight. Why? Because our future glory is so much heavier. There's so much more weight to what God has in store for you than what you're going through right now. So bless God in the middle of it because this season is going to pass and the next one's going to be better than this one. Come on, somebody. Give God praise in his house tonight. Now go to verse 28. Verse 28. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things. Right there, that word cause, I want you to underline it. What did we underline in Jonah? What did we underline? A point. What do we underline here? Cause. I want you to put a little equal sign in your, in your mind. A point and cause mean the same thing. God has appointed. God appoints. Are you with me? All things. God appoints all things. God causes all things that doesn't mean everything that he appoints is tasty at the moment. Sometimes God's providence is bitter. Sometimes God's providence is sweet. But every time God makes a decision, it's a just decision. And he says God appoints all things to do what? To do what? Come on, church. What do they do? To work together. God causes all things to work together. He brings what worked in my life and what didn't work in my life, and he brings the bad situations I had and the good ones, and he brings my mistakes, and he brings my successes, and he causes them all to work together. For my good. The word uh, there in the Greek is literally the word synergy, synergo. God causes a synergy. What does synergy mean? It's when all the parts come into play together. Right now, your life might seem like random parts. But when you watch God work, just back up a little bit and watch God work, you're going to see that when he's done, all those parts are going to come together. And who are they working for? Come on, who are they working for? For me. They're working for our good. He causes all things to work together. He appoints the things in my life to work together for my good. So what I have to do is instead of looking like a, like a, a, in a microscope at one thing God allowed in my life and saying, that wasn't fair, Lord. I have to back up and see the big picture and realize God was weaving all of these threads together in my life. And that black thread that came through my life that I thought was painful and was unnecessary and unfair has become a part of this beautiful tapestry of the perfect providence of God. He causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Tonight, I want you to leave with this simple conviction, this simple truth. God's scales are just, and God's scales are good. And when he's done with you, even the things you did on your own that you messed up in, that you uh, took a detour on, the wrong decision you make, God says, just leave it to me. I'll work it out for your good. Just watch me work. 
trust me. And look at the things that I appoint in your life. And when you have seen the great masterpiece, you will know that I am not only just, but I am good. And I'm gooder than you thought. Say amen, somebody. I consider that the present sufferings that I'm going through are not worthy to be compared with the weight of what God has prepared for me for the future glory that he has. Would you stand with me tonight? Right where you are, just raise your hands. And just... If you've had unjust scales, just confess them to the Lord. If you've had an unjust scale toward business or relationships or even toward God, just surrender it to him tonight. Just repent of it. And then just start thanking him for all that he has, for the glory that is to be revealed for the goodness that he has in store for you. Because think about it, he's been so good to you already. Imagine what he's going to do tomorrow. The present suffering is not permanent. This is going to pass. And when it has passed, you will say, bless the Lord, oh my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Come on, just open your mouth and just give him thanks tonight. Just give him praise. Because he will cause all things to work together. He will cause them to come into synergy. The pieces of your life that, will, that seem random and unfortunate. God says, I'm working in your life. I'm working in your circumstances. This thing, this thing you thought would kill you, I've used it as a stepping stone to your future, to the plan that I have for you. Almighty God, tonight, we as your people... We make this a confession of our heart. We want to do justice. We want to love mercy. We want to walk humbly before you, O oh God. We want to be a people that honor you, that bring you glory. A people that you, O oh God, are pleased in because we reflect who you are. And Father, if there is any way in which we have been unjust, we repent of that tonight. We ask you, O oh God, to make us a just people. A people that live with with. A, a humility before God that says, God, we want to do what is right. We want to do what is good. We want to love our neighbor. We want to love our family. We want to love, Lord God, the unlovable in our society. We want to be a people whose arms are wide as God to receive every soul that you will send into this house and never to judge or neglect them, Lord God, because of our bias, but rather to receive them in grace. And Father, we say to you that we trust your providence. We trust your providence, O oh God, that the things you appoint are good and they are right. Help us, O oh Lord, to be, to be a people who will worship you in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of trouble. For tonight, we bear witness to the fact that you have been better to us than we have been to ourselves. You have been good to us, O oh God, and to you we will give the glory and the praise forevermore. Your name, O oh Lord, is worthy to be praised.